At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This Christmas season, we invite you to look deeper into the incredible covenants God made with His people in Scripture. Tune into our current series, Gift Wrapped, From Longing to Lavish, to discover God's unwavering promises to meet the ultimate longings of our heart and ultimately renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. All right, I want you to think about Christmas as a kid. If you are a kid, just go with this. Like, just pretend, you know, because sometimes I talk to moms and dads, and anyway, I know you're a kid. But for everyone else in the room, think back to Christmas when you were a kid. Because when I start thinking back to, like, what did Christmas used to be like when I was little? You guys might make fun in your heart. Don't make fun in your heart. But you might a little bit. Because here's what we would do. We would go, we'd go to church on Christmas Eve, which sounds like, well, of course you did. No, like, we didn't normally, like, our whole family go to church. But on Christmas Eve, we did. Like, grandma, grandpa, mom, dad, brother. Like, we all went to church on Christmas Eve. And it felt like it was at midnight. It was not at midnight. It was like 8 o'clock at night. But it felt as a kid like, man, it's so late. I'm going to church. This is weird. You know, and so I'd go to church. And then on the way home, true story. I shouldn't even admit this, but this is true. I would stare out the window. Just like, and some of you know exactly what I was doing. I was doing this. And I was looking, and I was looking for Rudolph's nose. That's what I was doing. I was looking, thinking, I know, it's like 9 o'clock at night. I didn't make that connection as a kid. Like, it's 9 he doesn't fly around at 9 o'clock at night, you know, but still, I'm staring, and a couple times, the airplane would fly over, and I was like, oh, no, it's just an airplane, just an airplane, you know, it was me, and then we would get home, and we'd get home, there was a tradition that wasn't a tradition, but in my heart, it was a tradition that we should open one present on Christmas Eve. Mom and dad was not convinced this was a tradition, so it was a tradition that I was trying to convince them that it was a tradition. That was the tradition. It was like, you know, it'd be great. Just one, because I've been eyeballing that one for weeks now. If, if, you know, we should just open one present they never went for. But then here was another tradition, Christmas morning. I'd hand out the presents to everyone, right? I'm handing out all the presents. And you know those little stickers, like to and from that sticker that you put on the present? I don't know why. I don't know where mom bought our stickers, but they never stuck right. And so at the end, I'd have all these presents with no sticker on it and a pile of stickers, you know, and so the stickers fell off of the present. And yet the great thing was, is I always knew who to ask that the present went to because the way that the present was wrapped. You see, dad didn't wrap. Mom would do the wrapping for the two of them. And mom was so meticulous in her wrapping. I'm talking like razor sharp folds. And I've even as an adult, I've tried to fold like that and I just ripped the paper. So I don't know what she did, but she would get like these razor sharp folds. And it was almost like she was afraid that we would run out of tape or something because she would like get everything folded and one piece of tape would hold everything together. One piece, you know, and you, you open that one piece and it, poof, it unwraps itself. You know, that's how mom did presents. My little brother, seven years younger than me, kind of a smarty McSmarty, he would take a little present and wrap it in the box, and wrap it in the box, and wrap it in the... Y'all know people like that, right? That was my brother. And then he didn't use tape. No, he used packing tape. He's going to wrap that bad boy up, you know? And so you got to break out the Swiss Army knife to start opening the present when it was my brother. So I always knew, here's the thing. I would get wrapped up in all the things that really weren't the thing that Christmas was really about. They were fun things, though, right? A good time. Anyway, just wanted to share that. Merry Christmas, everybody. Welcome to Woodside Romeo and Billy. I am your campus pastor, and it is so good. Y'all look good, just so you know. I've never seen so much flannel in this room. Like, this is, this is pretty. If you're joining us for the first time, 
so many things that uh, we just were not able to do this year because of COVID. Like, we've had to make some adjustments. And so just for fun, we said it's going to be flannel day unless you have no flannel. And then it's going to be Christmas sweater day. Where's Heather at? Heather's somewhere. There she is. Such a good Christmas sweater. It looks so good. So anyway, y'all look fantastic. It is so good to have you here. We are in this sermon series called Gift Wrapped. And in this sermon series called Gift Wrapped, we're looking at God's incredible gift to all of humankind through his promises, through his covenants. Take your Bibles, open up to Exodus chapter 19, verse 1 today. Exodus 19, verse 1. We're going to look at God's covenant with Moses. This is one of those stories that even if you didn't grow up in church, even if you didn't grow up hearing all the stories, this is the one that you're like, I'm kind of familiar with this. Because this is, is God's promise to Moses, the guy with the stick who led the people out of slavery in Egypt. And they went through the desert. They went through the desert, and now they've arrived to Mount Sinai at this point. And this is where God is going to share why he has saved the Hebrew people. And he's going to share what his plans for them are. So he's going to share why he saved them and then what his plans are. First thing we're going to see is God saves his people so that he can treasure them. Let's read, starting in verse 1. The Bible says this, says, On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called out to him on the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasure possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. So the nation's arrival at Sinai, church, this is big. This is so big. And if you just pull this verse out of context and read it by itself, you're not going to understand how big it is. You have to read the whole thing. When you're reading the whole thing, you're going to read Exodus chapter 3. In fact, you might just jot this down in, on your notes. Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. Listen what God says to Moses. This is before the people have been freed from slavery. He says this. He says, but I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So God says, here's going to be this sign. Here's how you're going to know there's a sign of the covenant because you're going to be back with the Hebrew people, with the people of Israel. You're going to be back, and you're going to be at this mountain, and that's how you're going to know. And here we are in chapter 19 with Moses going, yeah, here we are. This is pretty awesome. But that's where we see a shift in the story of Moses. Here's a big shift. Because up to this point, Moses has been the liberator, the stick carrier, the guy that says, follow me as we walk out of Egypt. That's been his job up to this point. And right here, he moves from liberator to communicator, which is so interesting. Because back in chapter 4 of Exodus, Moses goes to God. He says, God, I, I'm, not, I'm not eloquent. In fact, he says, I'm slow of speech and tongue. I can't be your spokesperson, God. I can't do that because, God, I don't talk so good. 
right? That's not me. You should find someone else. If you looked at Aaron, you know, you should find someone else to be your spokesperson. I'm not the person you should choose. And yet, Moses is the one who's going to be responsible for teaching the people God's ways and God's commands. Church, let's never forget the power of our God. Let's never forget that he can do so much in and through you that you never, ever thought possible. So we see here this new relationship that people have with the Lord in verse 4. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You see, knowledge, knowledge of who God is and what he's done is foundational to the covenant they're about to receive. This covenant that says, I'm inviting you into a family relationship with me. But there has to be knowledge. You see, there's people today, and they try to say, well, here's what I think about God, or, or I think that about God. And yet there's not a foundation of who God is. There's not a foundation of what God has done. But do you see how the Hebrew people, they recognize what God has done. We were slaves, and God saved us. He rescued us. He is a God of justice. He is a God of righteousness because we were there. We saw as the best of Pharaoh's armies were drowned in the sea, as the waves come crashing down. We were there and we saw every bit of that. We were there in the desert when God provided food, when he provided manna. We were there. We saw that. We experienced it as he brought the miracle of water right up out of the desert. Right? We got to experience that as he protected us from these raiding bands of the Amalekites. We got to experience all of that. And God says, I did all of that and I brought you to myself. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that beautiful? And they're going, yeah, we get it because we've experienced you. We know you. We know what you have done and who you are. And based on who he is and what he's done, he says, I'm going to enter into this relationship with you where I'm going to look at you as a treasured people. Treasure. You know what, Christmas? Christmas, sometimes we bring out those family treasures, don't we? That ornament that used to belong to great-great-grandma, you know, or the clock that sits on the mantle, or maybe you have like that nutcracker collection that belonged to a family member a long time ago, and it sits there, and, and so your family then shares the story of the family that these things belong to, or, or maybe it has nothing to do with Christmas, like you could just have a piece of wood somewhere in the house, or maybe for your family it's a silver dollar. There's a campus pastor who tells a story about a silver dollar. His great-grandfather owned this silver dollar, carried it in his front pocket everywhere he went, carried the silver dollar around. And eventually his, his great-grandfather died, and, and his grandma figured out that this silver dollar was so important to his great-grandfather because it was minted in the year that he was born. And so the family tried to figure out what's the value of this silver dollar. It's worth a dollar. That's how much silver dollars are worth. It's only worth a dollar, right? And so it didn't have like this monetary value to it. But to his grandmother, it meant everything because this was the possession, this, this thing, this item that she had that belonged to her daddy. And so she went down to the bank, got a safety deposit box, and put the silver dollar in the safety deposit box because she said, I, I, I want my kids to be able to have this. I don't want to lose it. I want, I want my grandkids to be able to have this. I want my great-grandkids to be able to have this. This is, this is important. This carries with it stories. This is, this is a treasure for our family. And maybe you know what that feels like in your family. You've got this thing that to the rest of the world, it's not worth anything, but to your family, it's really worth something. 
There's a lot of value to it. It's kind of how we are with God, isn't it? God looks at us, and you may not even see the value that you have in yourself, and yet God looks at you and says, don't you understand? You're my treasured possession. That's why Christmas, that's why Jesus, he looks at the Hebrew people, church, they had been slaves, literally slaves, and he says there is eternal treasure value in you. That's who you are. And so if you're watching online this morning, if you're in the overflow room, if you're in this room right here, maybe you're in that spot of going, I've been through a lot of Christmases, and I have some Christmas traditions and some Christmas stories, but maybe you don't understand the value that you have for God because you've never placed your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. I just want you to know everything else this morning should be driving you to that point. That's the invitation you are going to have today. And maybe you're here and you are a follower of Jesus. You're a brother or a sister in Christ and you've, you've had a hard season. And maybe you're looking in the mirror today and you're going, you know, Billy, I've, just, I've had a hard time. I don't, I don't see my value. You know, the work stuff is taking a hit. My self-image and self-worth is taking a hit. My family relationships is just taking a hit. I, I'm really having a hard time. Can I just remind you that Jesus treasured you enough to take your place on the cross, that he paid for all of your sins. We need to remember who we are. We need to remember whose we are and that there is power in the cross and power in our faith in Christ. Let's now look at how uh, God equips his people to minister. Verse number six, where the Lord says, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests. We've talked about that phrase a lot over the past few months, but this is God going back really to Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, we talked about that last week. God had this covenant relationship with Abraham, and he said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and you are going to be a blessing to all of the nations. How is God going to be a blessing to all the nations? Well, we see it right here. God is saying to the Israelites, I rescued you out of Egypt. I rescued you out of Egypt so that you could be a kingdom of priests. Meaning, I rescued you because I'm calling you to something. I've rescued you so that you will now go to all of the people, to all of the nations, and explain to them how to have a right standing with me. You are being saved, but given an assignment. Now, when they would have heard priests, this kingdom of priests, they would have understood there's unique duties and requirements to being a priest. Right? There's privilege with being a priest, but there's duties and there's requirements. Are you hearing God's story unfold here? I'm saving a people who really had no value. They were slaves. I'm saving this people, and I'm going to make them a treasured possession. But as I save these people, I'm giving them a task. I'm giving them a calling. There's responsibility and duty to it. It'd be like if you were hired for a company. It's, I know it's not the best illustration, but it'd be like if you were hired for a company as a salesperson, and you're given that company credit card. Now, you know how it works. You take that company credit card, and you're like, I'm supposed to take this company credit card and take people out to eat, right? That's what I'm supposed to do with it. I'm supposed to show them how great our company is and how they should want to enter into a business relationship with our company. That company credit card is not so you can go buy your family Christmas presents. That's not what that company credit card's for. It's not so that you can say, well, there's a new restaurant opening. I'm going to take me, myself, and I out to eat. And I'm going to enjoy myself. I'm going to have a real good lunch on me. You know, it's going to be wonderful. And it's not what that card's for. That card is for you to represent your company. Well, that's what's going on with the Lord right here. 
the Lord is telling the Israelites, I am rescuing you. I'm saving you, but I'm giving you a purpose. I'm giving you a calling. There is something you are supposed to do with that. Church, it is no different for us. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says that he has prepared good works for us in advance. We are supposed to be very busy continuing the work of the church. We see it in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, where we see that each of us are equipped in a very unique way to carry out the work of the church. All of us. We're supposed to be carrying out the work of the church. So you are here today as part of the church, which is beautiful. So beautiful. Now, real fast, time out. And, and I know I talked about this a few months ago, and I really haven't in a while, so I'm, I'm going to do it again. Just so you know, we do record this service in case next service when we normally go live, if it's glitching. So I just real fast, I want to talk to those who are, are watching online. Because I know that there are some of you who are watching online that you have been since March. You're in an at-risk category, and you, your whole life, the way that you live life is very, very different right now. You're just being very cautious. And uh, I, I know that we have a lot of people. You've sent me the text. I've received emails. I've received Facebook messages. Some of you are at home right now because you've been exposed to COVID, or there's someone in your family who's positive right now, and so you're watching from home. So for both those groups... I want to say I'm so thankful for technology. I really am. I'm so thankful for the teams who faithfully serve every week to make sure that you can hear and see and be part of what's going on. So just know that I, I love you all. I miss you. I, I understand why you're home. Uh, continue to stay safe and get healthy until you can get back together again. But there's another group. And you're sitting at home. And just so you know, I hear the stories. You're sitting at home because you like French toast. And you're sitting at home because you like to watch Kip in your pajamas. And you're sitting there with your blanket up to your neck in the fireplace going, going, man, this is the way to watch Billy. My feet are up in the recliner. I'm having a good time. And uh, I'm still involved in relationship. I still have my life group. And can I just tell you, cut it out. Like, I love you. I really do. But you need to get back to church. You do. We need you here. And we miss you. I want you to know that if you've been at home for a while and, and you've just fallen out of the practice of being involved in the fellowship, you're going to be overwhelmed when you come back. There is something that you don't even realize that you're missing, that when you come back together and your voice joins in with the voices of your brothers and sisters in Christ, it is going to knock you over. I want to encourage you to get back to church. Because there's a couple of other things that can't happen. When you're at home, if there's someone in this room right now who's struggling and having a hard time, they can't look you in the eye and say, hey, will you pray for me this week? Because you're not here. They can't ask you, hey, I'm carrying this junk. Will you walk this with me? Because I really need my church family right now. So I'm going to ask you to re-engage in your church family. And the other thing is, is you might not be having a hard time today. It might be in three weeks, but there's going to come a moment. There's going to come a moment that you're going to want to look at your church family and say, hey, I, I need you with me. I need you to pray with me too. Will you pray for me? And these people are going to be so quick to say, I got you covered. I'm right with you. But there's stories right now that will not be shared today because you're not here. You're not going to be able to share, here's how great God is. Here's where I saw the Lord moving on my family this week. You're not going to be able to share that. So again, if you're home because you're at risk, if you're home because you're sick, if you're home because you've been exposed, I, I'm so thankful for the technology. If you're home because you like French toast, you need to get here. You really, really need to get here. One other thing I want to clean up real quick. Um, guys, for all of us in here, 
we, we've had this rhythm that since March we've had to get used to, right? Or whenever, I don't remember what month we were able to come back, um, but it was a while, right? It took a while. And the rule was real simple. We just said, hey, we're going to ask that you wear a mask from the front door to your seat. Remember that? So in shared spaces, just wear a mask. And so we did this summer as, you know, we would do the whole thing, and then we would try to get outside as quick as we could so we could get that thing off, and everybody would talk outside, right? I mean, that's just kind of what people would do. And uh, those of you who wanted to stay masked the whole time, you'd all the way to your car, and you'd get in your car and go ahead and go, and everybody else would just kind of hang out in the parking lot for a good long while. Our kids' hall and our lobby, just because it's not summer anything, uh, summertime anymore. That's not outside, y'all. That's not outside. So I'm just a reminder, a very friendly reminder in the shared spaces between the front door and your seat. I'm asking in those shared spaces, make sure you put your mask on. Now, if, you, if there's a really cool selfie station out there, if you want to take it off, get your selfie in front of the Merry Christmas, go ahead and get your picture, and then remember, that's okay. That's totally okay. But I am going to ask, if you're going to hang out and talk for a little bit with those around you, uh, just make sure that we go by the rules, right? If we can do that, uh, Woodside as a whole has asked every campus to follow this process. It, it'd mean a lot to me if you could do that. Last thing I want us to look at, I want to look at how God knits his people into a holy community. Let's look at verse 6. It says that you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. A holy nation. I love that. You see that theme throughout, all throughout the Old Testament, don't you? That holy nation. And when we hear nation, we tend to think of a political nation. The United States of America and the borders that we have, north, south, east, west. We tend to think of our borders or we tend to think of nations, Canada, Mexico, you know, nations. And yet this nation, before there was the nation of Israel, this political nation that was responsible for reaching all the nations of the world, before that nation existed, there was a family. Before there was a family, there was a man. And before there was a man, there was a promise. God made a promise to a single individual. The nation of Israel came from a man who had 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. Those 12 sons, their families became known as the 12 tribes. It then became this political nation responsible for blessing all the nations of the earth. And so at this point, at Sinai, in chapter 19, the people are starting to learn what it's going to mean to be citizens of this new nation. That's what's going on in this moment. Now, some of you have lived overseas before, and you know that it's, it's overwhelming, right, when you live overseas. There's all these rules that you didn't know would be rules, and I remember living overseas, there'd be this stack of paperwork that every year I'd have to fill out, we'd ha or Amy would actually have to fill it out. And so she would fill out all the paperwork, and then we'd go wait in line at 4 o'clock in the morning, all so that we could get this stamp in our passport to say you can stay one more year, right? That's the way. Or maybe you know people who've gone through the citizenship process where there's even more paperwork, right? But at the end of it, it's so sweet. At the end of it, now all of a sudden, you're a citizen of this new place. You're a citizen of this new nation. The, the rules have changed for you. The way that you do taxes, that changed. The, the way that you travel, that's going to change. Maybe even the way that you speak, 
and some of your practices. Maybe that even changes. And the people around you may not notice as much, but whenever you go back to where you were originally from, watch their response to how you're speaking and acting and doing things. They're going to let you know that you've certainly changed. That's what we see happening right here. We see the people of Israel hearing what it is going to be to be this new nation, to be citizens of this new nation, to be this kingdom of priests. And yet, friends, this is where, this is where everything goes wrong. This is where we encounter a problem with the covenant because Israel doesn't keep up their end of the bargain. You see, instead of being a nation that blesses all the nations, they start to say, no, this is really just about us. This is about this relationship that we have with God and keeping this relationship to ourselves. Instead of being people who are very intentional with going, they lived as exiles. They really pulled themselves out and apart. And when you fast forward to the New Testament, when you fast forward to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you see Peter uses this phrase, kingdom of priests. This is huge. Peter uses the phrase, kingdom of priests. Peter oftentimes will go back to the Old Testament, won't he? He will quote from the Old Testament. Right here where he's quoting from, this is the only time we see this phrase, kingdom of priests. And it's beautiful when you see it in its entirety. And it brings us to our big idea that God saves us out of darkness and into marvelous light. Let's read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You see, Peter says there's a promise a promise that started with Moses that is fulfilled in Christ. For anyone who has placed your faith in Christ, this is now the covenant that you adopt. Because Israel didn't do it. Because Israel didn't do it, God said, I am going to send Jesus to this earth. This is the power of Christmas, that a baby came to a manger. That Jesus grew and he lived a perfect and sinless life. That he was crucified on a cross. He paid for the sins of the whole world on the cross. And that he lived again. And through faith in Christ, you and I now become these treasured possessions. We get to be part of this beautiful covenant relationship with God. Now, maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never stopped and said, I'm surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus in my life. I just want you to know that today should be that day for you. Maybe you've experienced Christmas after Christmas, but you've never stopped and surrendered to Christ. Can you just... Bow your heads with me. You know, first, I just want to pray for my brothers and sisters in the room, in the overflow room online, who maybe when it comes to that identity thing, when I was talking about that, you're like, yeah, I identify with that because I've taken a hit this year. And mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, I'm, I'm not at my best right this moment. Can I just remind you that you are treasured? That Jesus loves you so much that he took the penalty that we owed on his back on the cross. That you are redeemed. That you are blessed. That you're made new. You're a new creation. The old is gone. That is who you are. Maybe, maybe you forgot that or you've been living like you forgot that. I just, I just want to encourage you this morning. Father, we thank you for today. 
Lord, I thank you for this church, and I thank you for the way that you continue to work so powerfully here. Lord, for those who are gathered in person, for those online, we, Lord, we need you and we need each other. And so will you show us those individuals today who need those words of love and life? They need that reminder of who you are and the work that you're doing. Lord, I'm so thankful for the testimonies that I, I've read this week. I'm so thankful for the stories of redemption. God, let us don't grow tired or weary of your work. Continue to remind us of who you are, the work that you have done, the work that you continue to do. Now, still in a posture of prayer, if you've never surrendered to Christ as Lord, here's what Christmas is. Christmas is Jesus leaving the throne room of grace and coming to a manger. He's fully God, and yet he's fully man. The hurts that you faced in the world, Jesus faced those hurts. The pain of someone dying, Jesus faced that pain. The fear of what if I'm rejected, Jesus faced everything that you face. And yet, not one sin. Jesus never one time sinned. He was the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. You and I have a problem. You see, we, we love the Lord and we know the Lord loves us. But when we sin, it causes a separation between us and the Holy God. And your actions, the way you behave, the way you try, it's not going to fix that gap that exists between you and God. That's why Jesus came. And he lived that perfect life. And he was crucified on a cross. My friends, the story doesn't stop there. The story continues because on the third day, he conquered death. He conquered sin. And he rose again so that you could go from darkness into his marvelous light. And so maybe you've never done that. And this is the first time you've ever really got Christmas. I just want you to have freedom to pray and say, God, I believe. I believe that you love me. I believe that Christ came for me. And he lived and he died and he lived again. And I am placing my faith and my hope and my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for making me new. Merry Christmas, Lord. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand as we close our morning in worship together. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.